I know because of my service and everything else that I really wanted to make up for stuff that I did wrong and even mm-hmm. growing up and everything else. And, and I didn't see a way to do that as the monster I was. Hey friends, welcome to the Victor Marks podcast with Victor Marks, founder of All Things Possible Ministries. Welcome to the show where we bring you real conversations faced with life's hard truths, stories of redemption, and the latest from the front lines. Whether you're on the road, getting your day started, or finally settling in, we've got an exciting new episode planned for you. So let's dive in to today's show. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the Victor Mark Show. I'm excited. Now I love all my guests and I think God handpicks them all, but I'm really excited about this. And I've been waiting for this one a long time. And you guys, I'm talking about Chris Beck and his bride, Courtney, who are going to spend some time with us today. Uh, and we're going to learn a little bit about his story. I, I think for those of you who not heard of Chris, he was uh, he was part of the Shell Team community, even up at uh, Shell Team Six. A lot of combat, saw a lot, did a lot, and then shocked the world with a transformation from this, you know, the epitome of masculinity and warriorhood, and he transitioned to become Kristen. And it captured the world's attention, stunned everybody. Uh, And it was fascinating to me. And then he transitioned back. And um, the the greatest thing about all this is his faith. That's what I'll say. It's, I've heard you preach. I've watched your post. God has blessed you with a beautiful bride, which he loves to do. And um, you, you really are a great example of, as you say, you know, uh, in your book, you were once lost, but now you're found. Yeah. And I, I thank God for it. So thank you both for being on the program today. Thank you, Victor. Appreciate that. I'm, uh, I'm honored to be on here. I've seen a lot of the work that you do, and you are, you know, you're a blessing. You are one of God's warriors, and uh, you're fighting a great fight. So I think when you get up there, they're going to say, you know, what was that one Bible verse where he just says you fought the good fight and you've done yeah. good and that's just the verse for you. You know, welcome well, home you. and you did great. <laughs> thank you. I, 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 my wife tells me sometimes, honey, I think your angel might slap you. Uh, you know, as soon as I get up there and go, I had to work a lot. <laughs> you know, you took down. I'm like, yeah. Uh, but thank you. It's, you know, one of the things that held me back from following Christ early on I thought it would just be a boring life. And it's probably because of examples I saw. I was like, man, Christians look boring. And boy, has it been the exact opposite, right? Uh, yeah. W- with our lives. But let's get into it. First of all, how long have you guys been married? A uh, couple months. So- I love it. <laughs> I love it. <clears throat> you know what? I. I still call Eileen my bride, and we'll celebrate 35 years here in December. Yeah, and um, I think God knows some of us need extraordinarily beautiful women that his spirit's in to uh, for us, for men like us. So it, it's it's almost like a consolation prize, 
and that helpmate deal to allow us to do far beyond what we ever thought, right? Yes. I, I mean, to bring stability to us. And I tell, I tell folks, there are other women that would have definitely bought me, but they would return me with the receipt, right? <laughs> they would have brought me back and said, this one's kind of broken. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I like a new one. But my wife I was stayed. previously sorry. Yes, exactly. I was previously married, and I think I got return receipts from my previous wives. That that I was totally, not doing well and fast. Uh, which, but but again, is it not a testimony to God's faithfulness that He can redeem and restore? Yeah, and and He loves it. I love Him as a Savior, but as a Redeemer, that's yeah. my whole life with Him. What He's able to redeem. But Courtney, yeah. thank you for being on the program today it's uh yeah and you know what still we look forward to we'd love to have you guys out to the training center here in colorado springs we have a private chalet in the back of the property and uh it's just great fellowship you guys get a vehicle go travel up the mountains but uh we'd love to have you out in the future thank you so yeah so uh, let's talk about this i want to know about your childhood Tell, where were you from? What were you, kind of the environment you were raised in as a kid? So as a kid, um, probably the biggest thing I need to say probably first about growing up is that yeah. I, I watched some of your podcast with Sean and I've, I've seen a lot of other folks. And the thing is, we always get to these like comparison games and, yeah. uh, and we even do it within our own family. So I grew yeah. up with five siblings. And I do talk about my growing up experiences a few times. You know, I try not to because I don't want to. I know my dad is really hurt a lot yeah. by some of the things I've talked about. Yes, and uh, right. it hurts him deeply because he's yes. a good guy. You know, he's a good heart. But again, yeah. it was the 1970s when I grew up and yeah. it was a disciplinarian household. You know, spoil yeah. the rod, spoil, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child. And also the doctor's Spock, you know, the raising yeah. of children and the 50s through the 80s was all the Dr. Spock method. And uh, if anybody doesn't know about that, then it's probably something you should look up. But it was a very, you know, it was a different way to raise kids. You know, yeah. so there was a lot of paddling. There was definitely, you know, my mom broke a spoon on me, those wooden spoons that they stir stuff with. Yeah. She broke one of those on me one time. My dad had a paddle, he had a belt. But it was just, it was normal for their growing up. You know, and I was a rough kid. You know, I was a middle child and real stubborn and very outgoing, very, uh, I was a bad kid. You know, I deserved probably 99% of the paddlings I got. So that's, that's just something that I want everybody to know. And I've said that a lot of times, but I don't think my dad ever hears those words. All he ever hears is the parts where he was paddling me. And, you know, and then I do say, you know, he beat us, you know, and that was just a word, you know. It's not like getting beaten by a group of, you know, a whole bunch of people beating you down. It's not the same. You know, it's right. just, so I probably shouldn't have used that word, and I did, you know. But, so right now, I'm banished from my family. I don't talk yeah. to my father anymore. I don't talk to my mom. I did up until I started, up until I got saved. And then my redemption story is part of how I grew up, just like how you're starting right now. My redemption story is part of my growing up. And I grew up rough. I was a tough kid. I was isolated. I didn't feel like I was part of the family. I was always in a basement or a garage or out and back in a shed growing up. 
I left home when I was in high school, uh, and I lived in the woods. So wow. my growing up was weird, mm-hmm. and it's part of my story. And so when I tell my story, my family got mad at me and threw me out. And so yeah. now I don't really have them as a family anymore. So and I'm not crying about that. My story is my story, and that's my redemption story. My story is I grew up alone, and part of that aloneness growing up and part of the always feeling like I was getting beat on, always feeling like I was getting paddled on, I was always under a microscope. And even in the military, if you put anybody in the military under a microscope, you're going to find stuff wrong, you know? And so they're always finding stuff. It was like, dang, why don't you punish him for doing that or that or that? And then I'd get punished because I was telling on my brother, you know? So that's how I felt, you know, and you can't take that away from a kid because I was a kid, you know, and the way I grew up is it affected me deeply. I never felt like I was part of anything. And so I was always searching for family. And uh, even when I was in high school, I was searching for family. And I met this guy who was a Native American. And uh, because I didn't really feel like I was welcome in my own house, I started to hang out with this guy. And, uh, and I was like, well, now I got a culture. Now I got like all this Native American culture stuff. And I was wearing around those beads around my neck and I had a mohawk and, and I was learning a lot about the culture and really digging it. But uh, it turns out the guy had ulterior motives and yep. I got away from the situation and uh, I was lucky. And, uh, and I don't know what happened to some of the other kids. And I did hear some stories and it was just, it was horrible, you know, the stuff that you hear. And luckily I just was not, I never had anything bad happen to me in the situation. I got out of the situation and I fought my way out. You know, I got away. And uh, so that's a lot of stuff that people don't really know about, but it's very important that some people hear about these situations because it affects kids in in a way that you will never understand. So I don't dream anymore. And I don't dream because the only dreams I had as a kid was this dream about me on this giant chessboard. And I talked about this with a Sean, on the Sean Ryan show was I had it was all nightmare. And I was one of the chess pieces. I was like a pawn or I was less than a pawn. And it was almost no other pieces on the board that were on my side. They were all against me. And then up in the bandstand, there's like a stadium area and there's a bandstand. And the bandstand was totally empty except for my dad. And my dad was telling all the pieces how to move wow. to get me. And that was wow. my nightmare for my, almost my whole, whole growing up. And so, it, and I never really dreamed. And then in the military, I have PTSD and a bunch of more nightmares and stuff. And it's all I ever get. And so for whatever reason, I, I never dream. I don't think I've ever had like a nice dream in my whole life. You know, rainbow, rainbows and unicorns are not part of my life. <laughs> so that's how I grew up, you know, it was a nightmare kid and getting paddled a lot because I was, I was bad. And I was isolated. I was by myself, and I and I worked my way through that. Yeah. Well, one, I, I, I'm I'm really happy that you can communicate it, right? Because even often adults, when they come from dysfunction, and dysfunctional families vary, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you still, oftentimes, in adults, you don't have a voice with your family. They they mm-hmm. kibosh it. They don't want to hear it. They minimize it. Um, they tell you you're lying. And, it, and all it does is it's, it heaps more pain onto yeah. that wound as a child. Yeah. And um, it, it's important for people listening to understand children, although we're resilient, 
although we can go through a lot, children need love. Yeah. Children need affirmation. Uh, children need correction, but out of love. And um, what you're hearing from Chris, folks, it's it's more common than people would like to admit. I will say that. And it does set up children to have struggles, one, with bad people, with nefarious people with bad intentions. They see the child who's hurting. They see the high schooler who's who doesn't fit in, who's mm-hmm. trying to find validation in bad people. Exactly. It happens to boys, and it certainly happens to girls. Yeah. You know, they see the target, and all of a sudden they warm themselves up. Hey, and then they take advantage. It's 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 horrible, but it's yeah. so common. Yeah. And um, you know, the 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 big thing. I was very careful, and even to this day, with a book, movie, all that. I'm very careful the way I speak about my family. I keep them out of most of my stuff. Um, I had a brother uh, who contacted me as I was writing my book, and I said, hey, you know, I want to give you a chance to look at the manuscript to see if there's anything that you don't agree with or, you know, about our children. And he goes, if you even put my name in the book, I will track you down with an ice pick and stab your eyes out. Oh, my gosh. And I was like, well, tell me how you really feel. Uh, Actually, I, you know, I remember when he said that, I said, well, I'll be in your city in about two weeks, so why don't we meet up? And I'll just give you that opportunity, Uh, even though I won't put your name in the book, but you can work that out. Let's see how it goes. (laughs) And to this day, we don't talk. Um, he's yeah. one that needs Christ and, uh, you know, he, he's still living, but he's, he's yet to find the grace of God, true yeah. forgiveness and, and understand he can be forgiven of his past and he can forgive other people. So I understand that. And I tell people use wisdom, yeah. you know, when you're sharing your story, you know, it, 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 it is prudent to not bring people in. Yeah. But you can say, yeah, there were some things that happened. I'm able to share a lot more nowadays because most people are dead. And I waited till the main perpetrator against me and my story uh, passed away. And, yeah. you know, I have siblings, uh, mutual siblings with them, half-sisters half and whatnot. So I'm still, you know, there's grandkids. But I appreciate how you say, well, you know, I don't want to hurt anybody in my family but it's it's uh i always say people who end up becoming one percenters in this world which you were and are you either come from a very great healthy Mm -hmm. affirming background as a child hey johnny you can do it you know you we Mm -hmm. believe in you you know (laughs) yeah all of that or you come from something pretty dysfunctional (laughs) <laughs> and and that sets us on a course to you know it's why i tell people uh, my my producer told me he posted a video of my gun disarm right mm-hmm. and he 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 made it where it said the real meaning of why i learned to do this or get a world t- you know mm-hmm. record in that and it's because my stepfather held a gun to my head when i was a kid and yeah. told me if i ever tell anybody he'd shoot me so in my mind, I'm like, oh, one day, 
one day I'll be so fast, no one can hold a gun to me. Mm-hmm. So God redeems even the worst things that the enemy does yeah. from other people. And then God will redeem the horrible things we do, yeah. which yeah. is amazing because oftentimes when we come from troubled backgrounds, you know, you'll either pull the pin and throw the grenade or you pull it and swallow it. Those are the two typical things. Uh, and it sounded like you've done both in your life, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just had a team uh, team six brother contact me, and he said, Victor, I'm, I got 17 deployments. And he goes, I promise you, because he listened to the Sean Ryan interview. Yep. And he just goes, man, it's all because of rage and anger from my childhood. Yeah. And he's like, Hi, you know, can you help me with I said, yeah, come on down to the training center, man. We'll spend half a day together and we'll pray. I love praying. I love walking and talking through stuff. Uh, but for you to excel, what what made you want to join the military? Was it that family idea, belonging? Well, I, yeah, I was always, it was probably a lot of the family thing. So I, I was always infatuated with the military. My grandfather was in World War II. And uh, he was on one of those Jeep carriers, a real little carrier, and uh, he was on the guns, the anti-aircraft wow. guns. Yeah. So he was he lost a lot of hearing and told a few stories once in a while, but not very much. Mm. But uh, I did get to look at a lot of his stuff that he had, you know, pictures and things, and heard enough, and that's what got me really into it. And my uncle was in the Battle of the Bulge, so I had a lot of family members who I spoke wow. to about uh, some of this. So I was always really into the military. And then when I graduated high school... I uh, immediately left the area where my family was, went uh, to Virginia and Virginia Military Institute. And so at VMI, it's a private military school similar to West Point, but uh, it's a tough school. So uh, down there, you physically get beaten on, you know, and uh, it was it was really rough, but it was almost like it was comfortable for me. You know, it was Mm -hmm. like just it seemed like just a regular old thing for me. And so then after I did that, then I go into the SEAL teams and same thing going through, you know, BUDS, basic underwater demolition, same thing. You're just getting beat on all the time. So it felt kind of comfortable, you know. And so uh, one of the guys, uh, Nick Adams, he used to always say that I wallowed in misery because that was what I was used to, you know. I was like a pig that just wallowed in muck, you know, because I was just used to that. I was always used to being an outcast or isolated and always getting the hard jobs and the dirty jobs and the bad stuff. And so I just like, all right, well, that's me. I'm the digger. So uh, I even applied. To, uh, I was going to apply to OCS. I got a raving uh, recommendation from one of my commanding officers. And uh, then I started thinking about it. And I was like, well, eh, it's not really me, you know. I think I'd rather be a chief because I'm a digger, you know. I'm going to be in the dirt, you know. And that was just the way I went. So I never even finished my OCS package and just stayed enlisted. And I ended up retiring as an E8. But the military was always a big deal, you know. I always wanted to be part of that because I was always of the of – the, mindset the military was the best of the best and that's where you go to serve your country and to do your duty for your country the only problem was is i never read smedley butler and i sure mm-hmm. wish i would have read about smedley butler before i joined so if anybody out there is thinking about joining the military please 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 i beg of you read about smedley butler you know give people a synopsis of of what you learn from his perspective so Smedley Butler was probably one of the most decorated U.S. Marine Corps generals that ever lived. 
He was uh, in the Banana Wars before World War One. He was in World War One. He did a lot of the other stuff. Very, very highly decorated. And I think what clicked it off in his head was the Banana Wars. So if nobody knows about the Banana Wars, you got to check it out. So uh, that's all the wars that, and they weren't even wars. They were all uh, basically coup d'etats and the CIA going in there and just decimating countries to put in their own people in power to take over the sugar plantations, to take over the banana plantations, to take over South America for the corporations of America. So North United States, I don't even like calling United States America because South America, North America, it's such different. The United States is a different animal altogether from the Americas. And, and that's just a shame of what we've done. So Smedley Butler wrote a book called War is a Racket. And he wrote specifically a lot about the uh, Remember the Maine, the USS Maine, and the start of the Spanish-American War and taking over Cuba and the sugar plantations down there. And he wrote about the specifics going into each corporation and how much money they were making before, how much they were making after, what they were doing, what happened. It's a corporate, it's corporations. So I really believe the United States military is just a military arm of corporate America. And we've been doing that ever since that time, you know, of the Spanish-American War with Remember the Maine. And I don't know if that was the first one, and I think it happened a lot before that, but this is what we've been doing. We've been going in and taking over countries and taking all their, all their wealth and then giving it to our corporate, an American corporation, and then they ship it all out and then bring all that money into it, whatever. It's just, that's what I feel. Yeah. I see what happened in Iraq, and it just, it just upsets me so much that a million Iraqis were killed. For what? There's no WMDs. We were lied to. We were tricked. And they used the sorrow of the nation. They used 9-11. And all of the decimation, all the, all the Americans that were killed during that time period, the sorrow of our nation was used as collateral to become terrorists in other nations. And that's what I feel like I was. I feel like I was more of a terrorist in Iraq than any terrorist that ever stepped foot on American soil. Now, we should folks, have stuck with the Monroe Doctrine, you know, well, stayed here. Pause our- there because I, I, I need to put a disclaimer in. Some of you right now are going to be like, you're getting bristles up on your neck. And what I can tell you is take a breath, take a breath. Okay. Breathe, slow your roll. You need to finish listening to this and understand what I call a thick data person. So many people make decisions based on very thin data and it's, it's not lived experience. It's, you know, quick sound bites or this or that. It's, it's a group thing that's most of the time not correct. Um, What Chris is telling you is from a lived experience and everything changes when you have to kill somebody. You you can say what you, that's why when people start giving me all it, I just go, have you killed anybody before? Mm -hmm. And they get real quiet. Well, you know, I I would, I would, I go, really? Do 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 you know what it's like? To, to see someone die? Do you know what it's like to look down the hallway after you just smoke somebody and see a kid that's now an orphan looking at you? Uh, for those of you who don't realize, my wife and I actually still have a home in Iraq. We have a home, mm-hmm. and we've been doing uh, this high-risk humanitarian work for many years, actually since ISIS invaded. And you know what? I... I 
the main thing I hear from the special operations community, which did most of the killing, and the Marines, fellow Marines, is thanks for going back and helping to heal. Because as one Iraqi told me in a meeting with cameras, he said, America's very good at bombing and killing. They're not good at helping us afterwards. So I concur with you, brother. It's, it's the quiet struggle that many people had of what really changed, what's different. And there is, I mean, there is money in war. And I don't think anybody can deny that fact. My deal is always, well, what's the end goal? Then what? How do we help people? I've had congressmen tell me, Victor, we're sending hundreds of millions, billions, but where do we actually put it? Because if you started a government that's corrupt, and I believe all governments are corrupt, Yes, the U.S. included. Yep. The, it, it, there's just corruption. That's why, like, even in America, we want more. We want better. But good guys who go in, you know, if someone ends up having something on them, bad stuff on them, then here comes the blackmail. Here comes the you will be quiet. You won't vote that way. You're going to sit down. And then people scratch their head and wonder why. It's like dealing with pedophilia. You know, yeah. we hunt pedophiles yeah. in the hardest places in America. Trust me. It's, it's you know, it's the hardest place because just like recently, there was this, you know, two busts, and they had DOD officials, judges, police officers. There, it's, yeah. it's widespread, the perversion of man to hurt children, and they want to cover it up. Um, and that's why my wife and I have to live with a level of security. We know God is with us. Yes. His angels surround us. We yeah. fear nothing, but we're practical in preparedness. A guy just tried to shoot me a couple of months ago here in Colorado, hiding, boom, right through a, it was an ambush. And it was point blank. It was a 36-inch shot with a pistol, and he missed me. Um, and he missed me. I did get some fragments in my eye because he God is shot great, through. Isn't he? Yeah. But I'm like. Thank you, Lord. And I tell you, I had my, I man, I drew and I had my red dot on him, and I could hear the Holy Spirit say, don't shoot him. And I was, and, you know, like Mark Geist, Oz, you know, from 13 Hours, he's a neighbor, dear friend. He's like, you feel guilty for not shooting him? I go, yeah, there was a, he said, do you feel guilty for wanting to shoot him? I guess, I'm like, yeah. But I said, I heard the Holy Spirit say, don't. So it wasn't a struggle. It, it, it There was zero struggle, like, oh, maybe he shot at me again. I took a different position, put that red dot, and I heard the Holy Spirit say, don't shoot him. Mm, and you wow. guys, for those of you who don't know, he ended up getting arrested. It was a five-and-a-half-hour standoff, and I tried to talk him out of this little trailer he was in. It was someone that we were trying to help, so I knew him. Uh, but demons will fill people, energize them, and they will manifest stuff, so... I don't hate the person. I forgave him that night. I told her I forgive him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But if a person yields himself to the demonic, bad things can happen. Yes. He's awaiting trial for a second degree attempted murder. Yeah. And, you know, I I just said, well, I, I want him to know God, and I trust the process for that where he can trust God with every area of his life. But, yeah. And there were times I definitely got pissed off i was you know i was like he ambushed me thank doggone it that and let me ask you 
during your service, were you ever ambushed? Uh, yeah, we we have a few of them. I mean, it so, happens because we take the same route, you know, so it gets pretty easy. So let me ask you, here's a question I love to ask formers, is um, what did it feel like when you were ambushed? ambushed? I mean, what, what was your... What was your natural reaction with the team? What was the energy? You just, I mean, it's all, it just goes up to about a thousand percent and you start doing what you got to do, you know? Right. And I think it's, it's the training, you know? And I think that's why also why special operations, you know, overall Greenberry seals and Marsoc and the whole group, we have a lot of cash, you know, they've really big budgets. Again, yeah. talking about money, sorry, but no, we have a really true. big budget. So yeah. we have a lot of ammunition, a lot of training, and we go to a lot of schools. And so it, it's a, we probably train at least a hundred times more than any other soldier would ever think about training. So, cause we have the money to do it, the budgets, you know? Right. So yeah. you do it over and over and over again, just like when you're doing it, you know, the disarm, the pistol right. stuff is, uh, you just do it a thousand times. You're going to be really good at it. But if you do it 10,000 times, you're going to be untouchable, you know? Right. And that's kind of the rule that we use. So it's, yes. every time it happens, it's just like the whole team just goes to a thousand percent. It's like right on target. Right. You know? And we're, we also train at a point when you don't really even really use your sights for a lot of stuff that you do. Uh, and, you know, when you're in real close to on pistol work, you just it's instinctive. You know, you know, you know exactly how your hand is shaped and where you're aiming. And I don't even need to look and I can I can shoot in peripheral vision, I see Courtney, and I can be right on, you know, headshot, you know, without even looking over in that direction. I don't need the sights. And we can do that pretty much anywhere in the periphery. I can shoot anywhere in that area and, and hit. And, uh, and those might just be the first shots, but if you're putting lead, you know, on target, there's something's going to happen. You know, it's just like uh, I watched Muhammad Ali when he's boxing. A lot of times when he's hitting, he would, he would move in such a way that he would disarm the other person's punch because he would impact something else to d disarm him. So if you're shooting and you get any lead on target, you're going to make the person react and do something different so that they're going to be off target. So they're not right. putting anything on you. So right. the faster you can get on range and get on target with lead without even using the sights is you're going to be your best shots You know, to and, disarm and make the person off. Totally. This is the consistency that I hear in the special operations community where folks, if you train and if you are just training and training and training and training, then in that moment, it's, it's just second nature. Yep. It, a lot of stuff. There's no fear. There's, there's that high energy. Boom. And go ahead. It's the and my same. new training is right here. It's know? the same, same thing. If and you're more not reading the Bible every day, if you're not reading every night, and I don't, I fail a lot of times. I don't do it every day, but, but I'm constantly working. I'm praying, and I'm I'm using my new weapons, you know, because right now I don't even care about weapons, you know, right. throwing lead and doing guns and all that. Right. <laughs> all I need is is the good word, you know, because <laughs> I fought demons, you know, and I know you probably have also up oh, front yeah. and close, and oh, I've yeah. seen them, you know, that they're outside of my house. And uh, usually they're the real low-level demons. But uh, one day I did have one of the high levels, and I think it was probably a fallen angel, as a matter of fact, because he was in 3D. He actually had substance to him. He was thick. And usually the demons aren't thick. They're usually real thin, and they're two-dimensional-looking. Yeah. 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 And yeah. they're fast, and they're flighty, and they're, they do weird stuff. Shadowy. But this guy was big. He was tall. He was probably 10 or 12 foot tall, and he was solid. You know, I think if I walked up to him, I could have touched him. 
But um, I was in bed. I just looked up and I started laughing and I started reciting the 23rd Psalm. Nice. And I just started praying. And uh, when I started laughing and then doing the 23rd Psalm, he kind of stayed there for a little bit and then he went away, yeah. you know. Well, so it, they have no power over you if you have the power of the word. Folks, listen, this is the most important. We build context and substance because people need to know our backgrounds and what we do and, and appreciate that. But when we come to this funnel of what matters most, it, the highest level of warfare is spiritual warfare. Yes. You know, we've had, we put teams together for the work that we do. And I've had tier one guys and uh, actually a lot of friends out of the unit, Delta. And, and, and I'll never forget when I started training and teaching them about spiritual warfare that God's given us authority to actually find out if a demon oppresses someone and then we can interrogate the demon, find out when they came, what's the top to realize they've told a person, what's driven them, do they have a legal right to mess with them anymore, and then find out the truth of what God's been trying to tell this person. And they hear the truth, they're free from the lies, and we can destroy the demonic. They always say, this is the highest level of warfare. Because yeah. if, you, if you smoke somebody, if there's a demon that's just attached to them, they just leave. They yeah. go somewhere else. But we actually have the power, the knowledge to destroy demons, to stop mm-hmm. their work on any other humans. Yeah. And guys get really, uh, guys get stoked. Uh, yeah. You know, I had a, a, a brother here, a lot of combat experience and, and he, he started having a hard time. He's at the training center, and he had done some work with us. And, man, he started getting agitated. He's building up, and he's getting loud. And he's yelling at people, and now he's moving toward violence. Mm. And, and uh, you know, no nobody was able to calm him down, even a fellow Green Beret and a Delta operator. You know, they came to me. They're like, he's moving toward violence real quick. I was like, ugh. <laughs> I'm only a Marine. Get him under control. He's one of yours. He's like, yeah. yeah. I went out there, and I remember looking at him saying, hey, man, you know, I'm trying to talk calm. And, and he keeps it. And finally just said, hey, do we need to go back to the range and, like, do something? Do you need to get something out of you? Like if, and he looks at me, and he goes, no. And I'm thinking, praise the Lord, because that's a much younger man, and I don't want to be thrown around that car. <laughs> uh, and I said, are we friends? And he says, yes. And I said, well, friends don't treat friends like this. I said, do you know I love you? Mm. And he goes, yes. And then he starts crying. And it was the emotional break. Mm. He was such under attack by the demonic. And I ended up saying, have I ever prayed for you, the retooling prayer? He goes, no. I said, why don't you come back tonight? I'll pray for you. He goes, how about right now? I said, oh, okay. So we went and sat down. I'll never forget. I start praying for him. And, and I, from my understanding of several decades of doing this stuff, I, uh, you know, the attack by the enemy, oppression, yeah. however you want to say it, to, to a degree a person yields himself, demons have access. Mm-hmm. But I start praying for him. And I command this demon that's housing him. And all of a sudden, he leaps at me. Like this demon kind of matrixed him and got him. And 
All of a sudden, he leaps at me, and before he can get to me, you guys, he gets slammed right to the ground, right in front of me. Like a big hand just slammed him, and it was right in front of me. And this demon then used his mouth and said, you can't have him. He's mine. And I said, no, he's not. He has a will, and God the Father will free him right now. He got free like in 10 minutes. Yeah. And then he, he sat back in the chair and he goes, what was that? I said, that, my friend, is freedom. Mm-hmm. And he goes, I feel so light. I said, because yeah. you're free. The demonic has no more oppression on you. And you know what? Amazing things started happening in his life right after that. And he told me, he said, had you not prayed for me? He goes, I was considering driving off and ending it. Mm-hmm. I said, well, that's, the, that's what demons do. They yeah. want to kill us. They want to destroy us. They'll put pressure on us so much, but if we don't give up, there's always a breakthrough. So he's doing great. He ended up marrying his girlfriend that he was like, I'll never marry again because I was burnt so bad. He married. They're doing great, and I thank God. And that's the power of God, folks. God wants us to walk in authority. And believe it or not, hey, Courtney, it was my wife that taught me the authority of Christ Hmm. because – you know, when I started struggling with the demonic, it, it'd come, I'd be oppressed, and I'm. she'd go, honey, use scripture. And I'm like, uh, I can't even think of one. I'm thinking the only one I can pull up is like Mary had a little lamb, Mary the mother of Jesus. She says, yeah, no, that's 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 a riddle. That's a point, you know. <laughs> I said, well, give me something. And she would just start giving me scripture. And she's like, honey, I don't understand. You're a Marine, a black belt. You fight anybody. You've, you've always been. Why can't you fight demons? She goes, you get small. You start. I go, I'm just not used to it. It's, it's an unseen battle. And she goes, well, the word of God is the most important thing. Just like Chris said. My, my children, I love them the bits. Uh, they, they knew because of TBI and some other stuff that, you know, sometimes, and, you know, tortured as a kid, and my mind doesn't always function right. So they wrote out scriptures on these, and then they laminated them, punched them with uh, so a big key ring, and they gave me like 50 scriptures. Oh, and they, wow. they, they said, Dad, here's your ammo belt. You'll never oh, run out. So when I would start to struggle, I'd open my backpack, pull this out, and I'm flipping until I find one, and then I just see it. Uh, allowed again and again and again and again yeah. and i start getting relief that was the beginning and now here all these years later we have a film coming out on easter on spiritual warfare and wow. we literally it shows me praying for somebody but it's some of the best christians who have who really understand the authority of christ over mm-hmm. the demonic because we believe that's what's next in america because yeah. the church is super weak and you know we're all concerned about it uh, they've bought into this whole different approach to christianity which is it's yeah. not biblical it's not godly it's they've conformed to the image of this culture yes. so they're powerless yeah. uh but we believe the the next real revival really can be christians getting free yes. and then non-christians getting set free i, I just got to say this one story because it reminded me i was on a plane when i was really learning how to pray for people to get free from demonic oppression and my wife's on this side 
is a Native American right here. He's got a, he's got a nice ponytail and you know he's he's leathered skin and we're sitting there and I felt like the Holy Spirit said pray for him. I was like, ooh, I I don't want not that prayer, you know. Let, let's pray and I'm struggling and my wife, my sweet bride looks at him and she goes, what's going on? I said, ah, I feel like God's telling me to pray for him. And she's black and white. I mean, she's just like, she goes, well, pray for him. It's God Almighty. God Almighty is speaking to you. I said, oh, okay. I said, hey, man, uh, this may sound odd, but do you believe in good and evil? He goes, yeah. I said, do you believe evil can mess with people? He said, yeah, yeah, sure. I said, uh, God's given me like this gift and skill set. I can find out if demons are messing with you or assigned to you and destroy them. Mm-hmm. Do you want me to check? He goes, yeah, of course. <laughs> like he was just like, as a matter of fact, I ended up praying for him. It was one of the lies the enemy told him was the most unbelievable lie to this day that I've ever heard. And the lie was my parents loved me. That's what the demon kept saying. My parents love me. And I was like, well, demon, you better speak the truth. He goes, that's all I'm hearing. I was like, well, I said, tell me about your childhood. He goes, well, my parents were drug addicts and alcoholics, and they dropped me off at my grandparents as a little kid, and they left. Just my mom and dad, they took off. My grandfather used to beat me with a you know ranch. It was just tough life. I said, well, when did your parents come back? He goes, they never did. Mm. And I said, wow. So do you think they love you? He goes, yeah, I've always said they, they love me, kind of wanted a better life for me. I said, do you see now that that's a lie? And he just started weeping. Oh. He goes, I've believed a lie kind of as a coping mechanism, pretending they loved me. Instead of realizing the truth, the truth is they didn't love me. They were selfish. They were irresponsible. They dropped me off in a horrible environment, and they never came back. Mm-hmm. And and I told him this. We can't heal from lies, only truth, no matter how painful. And he, I mean, God touched him so much so that when we landed, he stood up and he goes, God just freed me. God just freed And I'm like, hey, oh, wait, like, hey, brother, awesome. you know, it's federal property. We need to be careful. And he didn't care. He was wiping tears from his eyes. And I think that's what we as Christians need. And, and I love your boldness I because you, you have no fear of man. It's, I mean, I guess once you go from a man to dressing as a woman, what are you going to fear? Uh, which I was telling him for the day, he was kind of good looking. I ain't gonna lie, Kristen. You know, there's some cuteness, uh, but could you imagine? I was I was dying laugh with my own like funny thoughts. Could you imagine if somebody tried to rape Kristen? He'd be like, "You're you're you're mugging or trying to rape a SEAL Team Six man in a dress. This is gonna be ugly. This is you'd be like, I'll give you a head start, ten minutes, and I'm tracking you. But it, it's. Like Caitlyn Jenner, Bruce Jenner, right? Yeah. Uh, I I met him on a boat, and he came. I mean, recently this year he came up. It wasn't to the love boat, was it? What's that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. The music starts playing. 
the love and, and, yeah i'm like hey, wait a minute uh but he he came up to me he saw my dog he was like oh i love your dog and uh next thing you know man we're, we're talking for like 45 minutes he's weeping he's pouring out his heart mm-hmm. and and you know i i love it because he felt safe yeah. and then the next day we were at mar-a-lago do i had to do this fundraiser thing and the next day he goes victor he goes i really enjoyed our talk he said here take my number down i want come visit me in malibu and he goes you know bring your dog we can and uh and he goes he looked at me he goes bruce is still in here victor bruce is i'm like that's not a hard sell buddy i mean you're six four you, you know you're still a machine and yeah. you know your calves are bigger than mine, so not a hard sell in your pumps. Uh, but yeah. that's where. How can people? How can Christians care for and love for people who either have, you know, gender dysphoria or are believing the lies of the enemy? Right? How can Christians? Because Christians all the time. They they're repulsed by it because they just they don't even know what to do. So they're just like, yeah. oh, you're a sinner, get away from me, right? What, well, let me say answer? one thing. I'll say one thing, and then I want Courtney to say something because Courtney at uh, university she studied women and gender studies, and wow. she specialized in all this stuff. So stop. Love so it. the um, one thing you said just then about uh, Caitlin that uh, really is true, probably I think for almost every transgender person is that transgender people are very empathetic and very, uh, they want to help. They have really big hearts. Yes. And I think that's true. And that's one of the traps. And so I know it was about me was, I know because of my service and everything else that I really wanted to make up for stuff that I did wrong and even mm-hmm. growing up and everything else. And, and I didn't see a way to do that as the monster I was, as Chris, as the mm-hmm. caveman the monster that was caveman that was created by my my childhood and by my SEAL team experiences. And I also had massive TBI and PTSD and everything else. Yep. But the thing was, is I, I, I wanted to help. I didn't know how to do it as a caveman. And so being that really empathetic person and wanting to help so badly and then being told at the same time that a white, straight male is the scum of the earth and we're the ones that destroyed everyone we right. enslave the population of the earth, you know, and we're the ones that ruin everything. You know, you don't want to be you. You know, you don't mm-hmm. want to be white. You don't want to be male. You don't want to be straight. So how, what can I do? You know, I can't do anything. And so you start trying to find something you can do. And so as you're searching for that outlet or some way to help, the transgender community, the, the elders of that community, they see you. Yeah. They see what you're trying to do. The same thing as the criminals. They see weakness. They see an opening. They see someone who is easily uh, manipulated. And so that's what the community preys upon. And you'll find that probably a huge, huge percent of the transgender people right now are are on the autism spectrum. They're on the spectrum and are getting taken care of, uh, advantage of. Uh, I have somebody, a Navy friend of mine, who called me up and uh, they asked me for help. Because uh, they have uh, a child who's on the spectrum mm-hmm. and uh, is right now in the middle of transition. And they're talking about doing hormones. They're talking about surgery. They're talking about this. They're talking about that. 
Mm-hmm. And why are they talking about that? You know, mm-hmm. because they're being pushed into it. So a transgender surgery right now, about a four to five hour surgery, is about four hundred thousand dollars. Oh my! Goodness. Paid for by the insurance companies. Wow. So it's a huge scam between doctors and insurance companies. I mean, the money. same thing. You see that one doctor that just recently got busted because he kept um, saying these patients kept having cancer. So he had all these cancer patients and he was getting all this chemotherapy drugs right. from pharmaceutical companies and making huge money off it, making a billion dollars. Just doctor. So he's basically lying to a patient, saying they had cancer and then prescribing all the medications. It's the same thing that's happening in the transgender community. So the transgender community, I think, is totally upside down. You know, one out of 100 people who they're doing surgery on is probably in that spectrum where they're really generous for work. They're so far in that one area that, yeah, they probably need some help. They need some surgery right. or something. Right. That's one out of 100. Yeah. The rest of them have gender dysphoria. They have autogonophilia. They have all these lesser mental illnesses that get, you know, exacerbated up into this high level, you know, requiring surgery. They don't. They require some counseling. They require this. They require, they require love. Right. And so what I tell you to all the Christians out there, the only thing you can do is love them because mm-hmm. they got pulled into a community. They got lied to. They got sold a bill of goods that they're going to get healed, that you're going to get helped. None of it's going to help because basically you're taking... They're taking a whole bunch of scar tissue and they're making additional scars on top of the scar tissue. That's what they're doing. And scar tissue doesn't need scars. Scar tissue needs castor oil and a little bit of rubbing and a hug, you know? And so what is the equivalent to castor oil and a hug and some loving for somebody who wants, a a person like me who is male that thinks they're female, that wants to get breasts, that wants to get makeup and all this other stuff and wants to get all this stuff. That's the scar on top of scar tissue. What you need to do is give them love and give them a hug and give them the tools to get out of what they're doing. You know, and they're not doing that. And I think from the perspective um, of where it's really coming from, there is a uh, Russian... um, Defector, and I can't remember what year he defected. It was the 70s. Yuri um, Bezmanov. Uh, I'm trying to remember the whole thing. He had this whole thing called the Soviet subversion model. Right. And he goes through line by line everything that that Soviets had to do to another country to make them totally rot from the inside. And he goes through the list. So look up Yuri Bezmanov or Bezmanov. I've posted what he said. You know exactly I, what I'm talking about. Then. It's unreal, and it's it's happened yep. in America, yep. e- exactly. The demoralization of America, and it starts with the sex. Sex sells. Sex is something that everybody's into. Sex is something that is easy to easy. start at a low level. Into pornography, then you need yep. more porn, then more porn, then harder porn, more difficult porn. Okay, porn doesn't work anymore. Now I need a live subject. Now they start doing that stuff to somebody who's a girlfriend or whatever. Then you can't get a girlfriend because you're so whack now. Yep. Now you have to start uh, kidnapping people. Then it gets even worse and worse and worse. And this well, is what the Soviets did to us. They started with some real light porn. Then it got heavier porn, heavier porn. Then it turned into all this other stuff. The entire transgender community is, is caught up in the entire thing. It's the Frankfurt School. It's the... Uh, um, Kel, uh, what's his name? Kinsey, Alfred Kinsey. Yeah, Alfred Kinsey. I mean, if I go into the exact things about this, it'll sicken everybody. This will turn into a rated X program because it's so disgusting. 
If it's again, a bunch I've of pedophiles. This, I've posted stuff on Kenzie before because I was a recipient of some of this horrible, sick stuff when I was you a know kid. Exactly. And, and oh, it's God. more organized and more systematic and than people want to imagine. And uh, it's, um, you know, it's 33 million uh, images were produced or transferred last year uh, of child sexual abuse material. 33. And I, uh, 33 million. I tell folks, I said, do you know out of all those, all those tips we, we know of, there was only 300 cases prosecuted in America. So uh, literally some guy made a comment about, you know, minor attracted people, he, you know, or pedophiles. He, he's, he's trying to say, look, you better help people who are struggling now before they act upon it. Yes. And I agree. I mean, I agree. That's where I think prayer comes in yes. to have people understand the whispers uh, I mean, I've prayed with so many people, and and I keep it quiet. But they're, you know, they're like, I, I think I'm homosexual because I have feelings. And I said, Well, let's pray. Let's find out what a if there's any demonic assignment. And there's demons that will just completely drive a person and yeah. say, You're this, you're that, you're this. You got to act upon it. And they're driven, and then their mind starts to conform to the lies, not yes. the truth. Yeah. And people need to understand that. But Courtney. With your training and your background on this, what what do you see is you know happening in America, you know firsthand, and what is your recommendation for people who they may have someone they love, they care about, has struggled with same sex attraction or gender dysmorphia, whatever it is. What what would you say? Well, I think like a minute ago you asked like what what could Christians do. Yeah. You know, how could they view these people that they don't necessarily agree with their lifestyle choices? Like, what what can they do? And there's two things that always pop into my mind um, because I'm not, I don't have scripture memorized. Right. Um, uh, but the two things that I always think about are, are pretty much innate, and I think a lot of people, and that's that at any time you're thinking negatively about someone, remember that that person was a baby. Mm-hmm. And just think about yourself holding that person as a baby you don't know what they went through that got them to where they are right now if they're hate-filled or they're oppressed or they're committing heinous crimes at one point that was an innocent baby that had to go through a hellish life that developed them into this person that we look at now and we're like ooh, you know so i try to immediately you know, kind of scrub off everything that's on them and immediately think, okay, at one point that was a child and no matter what crime they've committed, I have to be thankful that my life didn't lead me down that exact same path. I'm no different. I'm no better. I'm a sinner just the same. Whether I said a cuss word or I gossiped or I committed a, you know, a bad crime in the eyes of God, a sin is a sin. So there has to be that level of judgment that's, that's eliminated. And then the other thing I often think about, which is a little bit fantasy-based, but it makes sense to me, is that if, if I were ever in a position to save a lot of people, and I, and I know this might sound crazy, but I imagine myself like flying or I'm on something and I see the devil coming and I'm flying over America, I am not going to be looking down and saying, not you, not you. I'm going to grab as many people as I can 
to save them from Satan, and I'm just going to take them to the steps of God and say, God, I don't know what these people have done, but I know Satan was coming for them, and I'm scooped them all up as many. Here, sort, sort through this. You know, it's not, it's, not, it's not ever, I'm not ever afraid of what man is going to do or what man can do. I mean, I know it can be bad, but above all else, it's like, what's going to happen to these people if I don't scoop them up? Like, what is Satan going to do? I mean, their, their, their co-worker or their friend might punch them in the face or do something. But what Satan's going to do is going to be ten times worse, and I don't want anyone to feel that. You know, I've, I've seen people, I've, I have loved people that have had really horrendous um, upbringings, and they've, they've been um, oppressed, and that oppression has come on to me and led me, you know, to be abused. And even at that, it's like that person still was a baby at one point, a child that sustained way more than they could, and now they are, you know, they're mentally unwell. That, I'll um, tell you, well, what you're describing is the heart of God. I mean, that, that's the Father's heart of, of love. And the imagery, I think so many people listening to this right now or watching are going to go, I've never done that before. I'm really going to now look at that person and consider them as a baby. And, like, what did they go through? So, I, I mean, that's really a practical takeaway uh, because people feed on hate. People feed on, you know, and that's groupthink and everybody wants to hate. I, I shocked people in Iraq when all these kids were working, helping, you, you know, because of everything ISIS was doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was able to, God gave me an opportunity one night with an ISIS fighter mm-hmm. who... We were just rescuing a kid. Here's this. The Iraqis had captured this bad guy. They're pounding him. And I was like, hey, can I just, General, can I visit with them? I've been praying to God, God, I'm tired of being shot at and mortared by. And this is, I'm speaking as a missionary, right? You know, mm-hmm. and there were times we had to shoot back because they're trying to kill us and we're trying to get away and all that. I'm like, Lord, I just want to pray for a guy. And they let me have this ISIS fighter to himself, and they shackled him good. He ended up breaking out of it because of demonic power. But what's interesting, I just started talking to him about his family. We common ground, and I was like, why did you join? He said, pressure, my uncle, and mm-hmm. in the village. And, and I was like, what would you tell young men who are being radicalized? And this was his word, don't come to the darkness. Don't come to this evil. Don't come to the... And I was like, whoa. And then I remember saying, you know, do you know what's going to happen when you die? Because you're probably going to die pretty quick. He's like, inshallah. And he allowed me to share the gospel with him. He allowed me to pray for his daughters and family. And um, and I did pray for him. Uh, this is a funny situation around it because this demon came on him pretty strong. He broke out of his ties. And then quickly they subdued him and the demon left. And I was like, do you know what just happened? He was like, yeah, evil comes. I go, amen. And I said, well, there's no way God brought me from America to Mosul at 12 o'clock at night to help a kid and have me pray for you and share the gospel. I said, you can turn, you call out to Jesus at any time before you die. You will be saved. He will not reject you. And the guy actually thanked me. Mm-hmm. And an ISIS fighter, he, was, he ended up being a commander. My bodyguard who's Iraqi and loving the bits. He goes, hey, boss, I'm very sorry. He goes, I see his face change with the evil. 
He goes, and, you know, I was going to shoot him in the face, but you were praying, you know, you were saying the nice words to him, so I'm awake. I'm like, Hassan, thank you for not shooting him in the face while I'm praying for him. That really quenches everything. It just hurts the whole process. So I, I love what you're saying, Courtney, that uh, we we have to look through the eyes of God at people. And, yeah, people need to be held accountable. Be, you know, there there are boundaries, but we as Christians should be motivated by love in, in all things. And sometimes it's so difficult, but that's why we need to ask God for help and for courage. So let me ask you, Courtney, how did you fall in love with this man right next to you? Well, we, we started off as friends and I, like Chris mentioned, I was a women and gender studies major at TCU. And so a lot of, this kind of discussion was, you know, happening in my mind, but I didn't really have anyone that was in this lived experience to kind of, you know, ask really tough questions to because, um, in academics now they don't want you questioning. Um, they don't want you having your own thoughts. Don't formulate your own thoughts. You know, Mm -hmm. when you're, when you have to write a, you know, 10 or 20 page paper, you're basically reformatting everyone else's thoughts in a manner that is appeasing your professor. You know, you can't just free write and say, this is my thoughts. These are what I think. Um, you have to have references and, you know, and all this other stuff, you know, cite your sources. Well, I'm trying to, my, I am my own source and they don't. It is a form of brainwashing, right? I mean, it's a hundred percent, a million times over indoctrination, multiple classes. I took back to back to back to back, all stated the same things, all used the same people to hammer in their points. Where were and, some of the authors? Um, I'm on the spot now. I'd have to think Sorry. about it. But but yeah, it's like the same names kind of keep right. coming, coming up, yeah. um, you know, and how to become an ally. Well, in order to become an ally, you know, an appropriate, proper ally, you have to basically hate yourself. You know, mm-hmm. if you're a straight white person, yeah. you cannot like any of that about you can't be straight. Wow. You have to identify as queer. Cause that's blurred. Nobody really knows what that means, but it's kind of like you're in, you know, Oh, I'm, I, maybe I'm queer, you know, and that's, then that oh, makes them okay. kind of let their guards down. They're like, okay, come on in. Oh. Or you have to have some sort of like victim status that allows them to want, you know, to bring you in, but you can't, you can't love yourself. You can't, you know, I couldn't love being a woman. I couldn't, you know, like the fact that I, my skin is whatever color this is. Um, you know, it's just, so a lot of it is indoctrinating you class after class after class to think how they think, believe what they believe and act how they want you to act. And this is Mm -hmm. this, you know, this was all at Texas Christian. Wow. I mean, which a lot of people just really have no idea what that department is capable of and what they do, the women and gender studies. And it's, it's sad because I don't, I'm not talking bad about the people who are in the program or, or even the educators in the program, because I believe that they too are, have just, they're just further down the in-doc line than I am. Right. Um, and so, I mean, I had a white professor who, um, basically hated herself and it, it, it's just, you know, the thing about it is, is the people that are in those classes, they're taking them because they genuinely care. And so mm-hmm. if you are like, if you're an empath or you're just a normal human being that cares about other human beings and they're telling you, Oh, well, you know, 
um, trans kids are just, you know, they're getting bullied endlessly in school and they can't have normal lives and then they grow up and they're murdered on the streets and there's just like all this violence, the natural human response is to want to protect or defend those people. And so you don't get the full story when you're in, you don't get the full story of, well, you know, why are all these trans women, women dying? You know, why are there high murder rates? Well, because they're prostitutes. Right. And right. a lot of the time right. they're not fully open with the genitalia that they have or don't have. So right. if they look like a woman and they go into a hotel room with a dude and the dude finds something he didn't want to find, they're getting killed. Yep. And it's tragic. It really is. It's right. sad. It really is sad. But they don't give you the full story. They don't tell you that a lot of these deaths are from, you know, late night mm-hmm. prostitution or whatever, drugs mm-hmm. and all this other stuff. Or just a high risk behavior that, that high, leads exactly. toward. Exactly. High, 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 yes. high risk behavior. Yeah, yeah. It just, it leads, it's the funnel toward violence. And, yeah. and that's, that's part of the indoctrination or propaganda to leave out the full truth yes uh, in order to manipulate people uh yes. you know That's charlie, charlie kurt who heads up turning point usa he's pretty good yeah uh, i i like him i better because i mentor him on some things <laughs> and and uh my son works with him but i would say this he, he was one of the first ones to sound the alarm to say hey you know, universities, uh, you better be careful. It's mm-hmm. a, it's, it is a scam what's happening. And it's about Total money scam. and it's about indoctrination. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's, it will twist your child's mind. It mm-hmm. was, wasn't it Adolf Hitler that said, if we can get the youth of our nation, we'll control the world, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, That's what's happening. I mean, yeah. they've, got, they've got 18, 19 year old in, in one class that I took. These, these, you know, kids to me at the time, you know, I'm an old veteran in, in a college class, so they're all kids to me. But they're coaching them on how to, like, stuff their pants, oh my um, how to approach the topic with parents who are uneasy about what's happening. I mean, they fully coerce yeah. and, and um, just they coach each person on – on what to do and how to be more risky. It's never about mm-hmm. just being your authentic self. It's never about that because your authentic self doesn't walk around with with a sock full of rice in your pants, right. you know. But they coached them. They co- they were mm-hmm. coaching the people into um, this this lifestyle, and they're so oddly friendly if they think that they have a shot at rallying you it's it's and and i think one of the big things that chris and i talked about uh when we first met was um cult and sect formation and recruitment and what recruitment looks like into a cult or a sect Mm -hmm. and so just in our conversations because i i did study a lot in anthropology and um and know a lot about that kind of stuff and so i would just ask questions and just talk about things that i had learned that i knew would help him, but not directly. So I'd be like, oh yeah, I, you know, I learned about this recruitment technique and just kind of let him connect the dots a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I would push to a certain point until I realized, okay, you know, he was getting upset or, or start to feel uncomfortable and then I would completely back off. And in other mm-hmm. times I would see that barrier and I'd be like, no, we're not going to shut down. Like we're going to keep 
We're just going to push through this and see where this leads. So a lot of talking about like love bombing was one thing I think that was, that really rang about. Um, and that was a recruitment technique from a cult where they would go out and just love bomb people, just make them feel so loved and welcome and wanted and adored and, and all these things. And, and, uh, and yeah, and they, uh, and that's they what, do that. That's in, what pimps and traffickers do. Yep. Yeah, and that's that's what the university is doing for, in my experience. You know, not everyone's the same, but right. I felt like I was being recruited, heavily recruited, uh, into a sect where you I, can't I, think outside of anything. I'm telling you, what you're sharing is gold, and especially the source, you, uh, because Americans kind of know this. They'll hear a little bit. But hearing it from thick data, truth, you know, uh, people are going to say, how do we combat this? How, how do we, and the, the only thing that's coming up right now is keep your children out of school. Yes. Put them yeah. in schools that, you know, like my daughter graduated and from high school, we have five children. She's our number four child. Graduated from high school. You know, academic, brilliant gal, uh, National Honor Society, everything. And we said, well, now you know. She got some scholarships and all that. And she said, well, I want to try. So she accepted a scholarship, went to a school local here, and did one semester. She came out and said, no more. No more. Good. She goes, "It, it. why am I going to give them money for them to indoctrinate me and, mm-hmm. you know, she started naming things. And I, she's like her mom. She's black and white and just like, no. So, uh, you know, the alternative is she can do online schooling, you know, yep. with schools mm-hmm. that are very specific to teach what's needed in a field of study that she wants to, yep. uh, to pursue. But uh, it's so important that parents don't be lazy and they engage and equip your child. And you got to start it younger and younger now. We're trying to protect kids from pedophiles, right? And, and, and I mean, these are, the majority of them are just really want to hurt children. There's no, and they'll do, they'll do the grooming technique. And the problem is it's in the education system. Some of the books that are being allowed in the public schools are beyond pornographic. It's laugh. Yeah. It's like you can't. I feel like sometimes when I think about it, I chuckle because I'm just like, is this, what is this? Like, how are yeah. we even having this? Dis- like, why is this dad reading this book in front of the school board when they're telling him to stop? Right. Because they can't even handle hearing it. And it's, it's like, it, how did. And then the craziest part is all the leftists, they go, look at their burning books. It's like, nobody's burning books. We just want the porn out of a kid's library. Please. You know, grade school libraries shouldn't have porn. Yeah. That's the only books we're banning. You yeah. know, come it, on. It, Nobody's it, burning books. Th- there's a fight that needs to be fought. And, and I tell men, the women are engaging right now, but the men really have to step up in America. Uh, mm-hmm. There's got to be a heart revolution. Because uh, yeah. at a certain point, I mean, we yeah. don't have much left to go. I believe the end result of all this from the LGBTQ trans community ultimately is to legalize sex with children. I I firmly believe that that's mm-hmm. th- because of where I the space that we work in, yeah. and it's uh, 
we must stand and fight. And it's, I'll tell you, there's a group called Gays Against Groomers. And, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm friends with many of them, interviewed them. I remember one of the leaders, one of the guys was like, I love you, Victor. And I said, I love you too. Like in a non-gay way, can and he's like, <laughs> yeah, hard stop. He ain't gay. There's no, you know, we're laughing yeah. our heads off. Yeah. But I'm trying to model, my gosh, you can have civil relationships with people that yeah. you don't agree with the lifestyle. Uh, or we're trying to help people trans uh, uh, transition back. Yeah, And it's hard. I, yeah. Man, I get heartbroken. There's broken. no insurance companies to help out. And it's very nope. expensive. You know? Oh, they'll help you. They'll help you change, but they don't want you to come back. Exactly. So the emotional and I, so we have a few friends, and you know it's 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 heartbreaking. Uh, quite honestly, we try to help them out as we can, yeah. but um, it, well, that's going to be the future. If anybody wants to help out, you know, all these kids right now because they're pushing so many kids towards the transgender surgery and all these hormones and everything else, and. Uh, there's going to be a lot, a lot of really badly broken kids when they realize what happened. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, they're, they're transitioning kids who are like 12 and 13 years old, pre-pubescent, you know, yeah. before puberty. Are you kidding me? You know, it's going to be terrible. So get ready for a whole lot of kids that are going to need a lot of help. A lot. Yeah. And, well, speaking of future, what's the future hold for you two? What's y'all's goals? What's your passion? Is there anything y'all want to share? Uh, I want to find an old church and buy it, and then uh, I'm a minister, and I want to be able to stand up in that pulpit and actually be a minister. I so love I, that. That's something that we've talked about a little bit, but it probably won't happen for quite a while. But um, there really is a, a need for uh, a new reformation. So, yeah. And that's when I wanted to start talking a little bit about the good America, you know, the stuff that I'm yes. proud about America, because we right. talked about all the stuff where I'm kind of angry at this country. But there's also a lot of great things this country's doing. Yes. So back in those days in the 1600s and everything else that was going on around this world, uh, then you had the Inquisition with the Waldenses, you know, against the Catholic Church. And why did they do that, you know? They revolted against the Catholic Church and the Reformation with Martin Luther and everybody else was because they weren't letting them read the Bible themselves. The Bible was in Latin and it was for the priests only. And so, and that's happening right now in America. So what's happening with the churches nowadays is the way these pastors up in these pulpits, they're reinterpreting the Bible and they're saying that this is okay. Even a pope right now is saying that it's okay for uh, the rainbow people to, to have communion and to get baptisms and everything else. It's like, well, that's not in the Bible. And so what they're doing is they're keeping the Bible away from us and saying, well, that's not really the way it goes. You know, take a look at this creed or take a look at this catechism. Take a look at this and listen to the preacher. Or don't listen to the Bible. And that's totally wrong. If you're not preaching out of the Bible, then you're doing it wrong, you know? Just preach the Bible. Talk about what the love of God really is. And then if it's a sin, it's a sin. You know, you have the seven deadly sins. And one of the biggest of seven deadly sins is pride, you know? Mm -hmm. And what is that whole thing called when they do these giant parades and everything else, you know? And then lust is another one. You know, a lot of the things that the whole um, gay community is doing right now they're all directly part of the seven deadly sins. Yeah. And so all these did, all they did was, even it happened to me, was yes. that the door was opened and one of them little tiny demons got in there. It kind of slipped yep. in. And so yep. you start the whispering in your ear, you know, this is okay. That's okay. You know, do this, do that. And so as they're whispering to you, you start, just like I said in the beginning, the porn opens the door. 
Jeff. And then they say, well, it's okay if you look at that over there. That's, a, oh, that's hardcore. I don't want to do that. No, it's okay. It's not very much worse than what you're doing right now. Right. Okay, I'll look at that. And then it escalates. Yep. So, like you said, the church is weak. The church in America, I think, is a second beast. And then the first beast being the Catholic Church, and that's why the Reformation happened. We came over here to America to escape it, to come over here and start over, and to really study the Bible and be free of it, and then, you know, really start digging in and know who God is. You know, mm-hmm. learn who God is, be close to God, and then, and then pray and fast and really work on your spirituality. You know, I really think that our country needs to have a, a new revival. There has to be a new spirit to um, descend upon this country, and then maybe it'll spark off something for the rest of the world. You know, we escaped Europe and a European um, iron fist of uh, the theology that was being taught. We broke away with Martin Luther, uh, the Millers, and there's so many more um, that came over here. We still have that spirit. We have the spirit of revival here in America. You have to fast and pray. That's the way you kick it off. And that's the only way to kick it off. Matthew 17, 20. It's, but there's, it's, it's just fast and pray if you want to be close to God. Right. If you want to they kick off to take the Bible here in America, fast and pray, please. Well, yeah. listen, uh, when, we're, when we're done, I'm going to schedule a time because I want to pray for y'all the retooling prayer that, that yeah. to make sure there's no oppressions or assignments on y'all. And uh, God's given me the privilege to pray for so many people um, because it works. And uh, and I think that will be a very good tool in y'all's tool belt. But I'm telling you, this, this 90 minutes we've spent together, it's going to impact so many people. Mm-hmm. There, there's, I, I mean, I can just sense, Kendall, can't you, that this, I, I just sense this. And and as far as the church, let me say this before we close. You know, um, I know you like the idea of a, an older church, and may, maybe it is. Maybe we just get you an older church where you can preach from. But I promise you, you need to you need to be able to share your heart and your preaching to the masses, because there are so many people. You said it earlier. Uh, sweet one that you said it earlier that there's so many people coming out of the struggles mm-hmm. uh, that we have to be ready you're you're one that God is raising up you can tell his spirits in you he's redeemed you they need a leader and someone they can trust and there's yeah. something about the combination of your childhood mm-hmm. your experience and excelling uh, the, the intellect that God's given you, because I definitely say you're off the charts on some areas, brother. It's it's the truth, and again, God loves to show off and 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 be glorified through people. But what you've come through, and where you are now, and now married, it's it's the preparation part. Y'all will be able to help so many people. So I will stand with y'all. If you want to get a church, if you want to get an online deal in a studio, and and I'll say it right now, if you guys start like a GoFundMe account or ministry, we'll commit to $10,000 to helping y'all launch that. Guarantee you that that's, and it's confirmation that you need to go in that direction. I don't think you'll ever be 
the the standard preacher and I'm thankful because we don't need that right now. But I see the passion that you have and you keep in Christ the center and that's what's exciting. There'll be a lot of people praying for you. Uh, a lot of people who love what God's done. People will be praying for your marriage uh, because that will get attacked by the enemy. He hates marriage. He'll try to divide. My wife and I have been separated twice in 35 years. And as I tell one group, she realized she was wrong both times. Uh, <laughs> and she can only say that because she's not in the building right now. I want to make sure. Uh, I heard she says the same thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and, and, you know, we'll be praying for y'all. Two questions that I asked my first-time guest is um, – You've seen videos. You kind of have an idea of what we do, but people live off perceptions, right? They titles mm-hmm. and the, but what you know so much about us, my wife and I, what we do. What's your perception of us? I'm just honored and humbled to be on here. I didn't think I was worthy to ever come on your show because you're like it was like it's just you're big, like in in a Christian world for a spiritual warrior. That's what I'm talking about. I don't. I want to study more. I was reading the Bible this morning, trying to buff up before I came on here. And I was like, and, and Courtney was like, well, why do you study before I go on? I said, like, because, you know, Victor is like this super spiritual warrior. And I just want to make sure I don't say anything, you know. I just want to be the full Holy Spirit. Uh-huh. So I called my prayer chain. Uh, I have about 100 people praying for me right now to let the Holy Spirit speak through me. So I just wanted the Holy Spirit to be here. I didn't want to make a mistake. And, and I, I, I'm always worried about that. I don't want to say something wrong. And I think the biggest problem I have right now is a perception of a lot of people towards me because yeah. I speak out against leftists and because right. I speak out against the LGBTQ community. But I'm not speaking out against the people. I'm speaking out against ideologies. Right. I'm speaking out against principalities. Right. Like the people I still love. Like uh, there's a guy that runs a bar down in um, Virginia called our Freddy's. His name is Freddie. But he's still a great friend of mine, and he's yeah. gay, and he's been—he's—he's he's like super gay. The guy is like has a bar, a gay bar, right. and I still go there because it's a restaurant. I go there and I eat. I eat at a restaurant because I right. like the guy. He's a good guy because I really care for him, and I care for all of those people. I don't hate anyone. Right. I just—I I hate the principality that's being done. I hate the yes. ideology because yeah. it's—the it, ideology is full of lies and deceit. They're not being truthful. Well, it's harmful to people. Ultimately, it's harmful to the soul, the mind, the body, yeah. and and we yeah. are we're to stand up. I yeah. and you know, let me encourage you. Uh, I've been where you are, like in the beginning of ministry and doing stuff, and and I would really worry that I would say something wrong, and and my bride's like, "Don't worry, you will." <laughs> let's just <laughs> let's take the pressure off. Okay, you will, good. and all you do is go. You may look back later and go, "Oh wow." okay, I've kind of changed my position or sorry, I should, you know. Um, and then there's some audiences I've addressed that I probably shouldn't address again uh, because of the way my personality is. And I go, maybe I'm not a good fit for that. <laughs> so, yeah, well, th- thank you for the compliment. I, um, it's, you know, I, I, my wife and I get great joy in wanting to help, you know, I can those on their journey that we feel like God's hand is on. And none of it is about perfection. It's just mm-hmm. about the right direction. That's what we look mm-hmm. at. We go, are they going to the right? Yes. So we will pray for y'all. We will 
man, absolutely. It's exciting. The second question is, and you've answered it already. Go ahead. Can you have Courtney answer this one? Yes. The I second question, Courtney, is for you. It's, it's, uh, and it's just simply this. We, we will have to transition out of these meat sacks, these vessels one day uh, to heaven. And I asked my guests, what happens to you when you pass? Where do you go? What like, And why do you believe it? Because that's the most important issue, I think, is our preparation for eternity. What do you believe? Uh, as far as like what I'll do when I leave earth? Yeah, what what happens to Courtney? You know, um, some well, people watching. Yeah. I I have a very vivid imagination. Um, I I don't know. I sometimes I see myself. Sometimes I think God needs all types in heaven to do specific jobs. Agree. And I think there's a lot of stray dogs. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of animals. And I love. I mean, I we have four dogs. You know, really big dogs. We have and three. I would have a lot more if I had <laughs> more land. <laughs> But I, I think sometimes it's like maybe I have a knack for, for loving on the strays or loving on things that are difficult. So I might have that role in heaven. I might be so like cool. the, the crazy animal lady that's that's <laughs> them all like all over. But then I also see myself sometimes too um, being tasked to come to come down when people are at their worst and just love on them because mm-hmm. it's hard to hear a stranger on a podcast say, man, I really care and love about you like I care about you and it's hard to accept that when you don't feel that way towards your own self so that's the first thing people have to do is forgive themselves of the sin and understand I'm human in a sinful world this was already expected of me and it's already known that I'm going to do this and I've already been forgiven but some of us we have such heavy hearts towards our sin that we're like well how could God love me or how could Jesus have done this? I'm disgusting. Like, look at what yeah. I've done. And unless you get yourself out of that and you're like, oh, okay, I'm just a human being. Yeah. Like, you're a great example of like an anchor in people's minds. And in my yeah. mind, you know, when I was watching clips of your podcast, it, it did one of two things. One, I was like, wow, this this is an anchor for me at my worst to say, mm-hmm. okay, he he went through this and he's fine I'm going to be fine. So that's one thing. It's like you're, you're an anchor for people to be like, okay, a reality check almost. Mm. Not that we compare each other's pains, but it's just right. like this story and he is here. So on my worst day, it's not that bad. Like I mm. can get through this. Nice. And oh, um, so I, I see you a lot like that in that role. Um, just being a really good anchor for progression for people to see like you can come out of this. That's, that's, that's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. And for your wife, you know, there, I feel like there's a likeness because through all of your, um, your troubles, like you had someone there that really love and like deeply care. I mean, I think the word love is like misused, but like cared right. for you and your soul. Yes. And so I feel like a kinship there with someone I've never even met because I know that likeness. Like I know that yes. that is they're in that person and so immediately it's like oh you're you're like me so there's like a a sameness there and i i I would totally agree because i look at you and i you remind me of my bride i can see the love and the commitment the courage it 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 takes courage uh to marry men like us uh because god loves us uh, uh, but the devil sure hates us 
And Eileen, she's told me before, she goes, my gosh, after some battles, she's like, babe, Satan really has unleashed his generals against you at times. It's not fair. And all I could say is, God made me for this. I hate it. But he made me for it. And I'd rather them attack me than you. Because God made me, you know, from the time I was a child. He's he's built resilience in me. And in every battle, every sometimes it's just like, Lord, I can't do any more. And he's like, but all you have to do is this one right now and finish well. Then take a breath. So thank you for that. And I'll share that with Eileen. She'll she'll find that very comforting and, and kind. Um, words create worlds. One of my yeah. great, one of the greatest Bible verses that I would share with you and everybody is Ecclesiastes three eleven, and pretty much how I always say it is absolutely everything is beautiful in God's time. Yeah, you know, it's paraphrased, but the it. thing is, is like you have to remember that God is working on a on a eternal um, time frame. It's not infinite because infinite is a is a closed loop. It's not really infinite; it just keeps circling. That's what another weird thing that I discovered, but God is eternal. And so yeah. if you think about eternity and he knows it all, he already experienced it all. He's just waiting for us to catch up. And so everything that happens to you, everything is beautiful in God's time. Now you might think it's horrible. You might think it's ugly. You might think this is the worst thing you could ever happen. People always talk about all this bad stuff happening to his kids and everything else. It's, it's going to be beautiful. I know it's terrible. I know it's the worst thing you could ever imagine but we're eternal spirits also. We are eternal souls. We're eternal, everlasting, multidimensional beings. That's who I am. I'm here forever. And so if we realize that, and we realize also that God is eternal, and in his time, it's going to work out. Yeah. It's going to be okay. You know, just that a, it will happen. Let it it's happen. such a great way to look at it. I posted yesterday the story of Nora. And Nora was a girl we rescued and recovered uh, in Southeast Asia and really bad guy had done horrible things to her uh, as a horrible cut her hand off battery acid mm. all that and I never forget um, I, I you know we we saved her got surgeries out but I'll never forget that she told me one time she said I was dead before all this happened already she goes, I didn't know life. She goes, but through all of this, I came to know Jesus. Mm-hmm. And now I really have life. So when you see her raise her nubby hand, or when we she we bought her a Iron Man hand, <laughs> you know, she's cool. worshiping God and singing. It's a beautiful, it's yeah. a beautiful video. It's kind uh, of but I agree. It's such great words to end on. Folks, listen. You may be going through a hard time, but what Chris is saying is so true. And and I echo Courtney's words, too, on just, you know, God has us. He has you. Whatever you're going through, the thing is don't give up. Have faith. Yep. Go to his word. Call out to him. And he, he bears that pain with you, but it will get better. Yes. Uh, and that's our testimony of what we bring to y'all today. So thank you both for being on the show. I, the, again, uh, 
I mean, it's been a long time since I've been able to visit with somebody this long because it's such rich. I knew this was going to be amazing. And, folks, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you know, do it for the glory of God. Look look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And um, until next time, we love you all, and we'll see you right back here on the Victor Mark Show. God bless you guys. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. We'd love to stay connected with you and invite you to the conversation beyond this podcast. You can check out more of the work we're doing around the world at victormarks.com, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all linked in the show notes. Be sure to drop us a comment in the review section if today's show has impacted you in any way or if there's anything you'd like to hear more of. We're always encouraged to hear from you. Thanks for spending your time with us. Until next time. Thank you.